morning, everybody, and welcome to Church at Home. If you watched last week's program, then you'll remember that last week, Jesus called four ordinary men to follow him. He was down walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he met four fishermen. And he said to these men, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the men got up, they, they dropped their nets, and they followed Jesus. They set off in this new way of life, living with Jesus as their leader. Well, as these men followed Jesus, they see some amazing things. And one of the most amazing things that they saw was how Jesus treated sick people. He healed them. We're told that these men followed Jesus into a synagogue, kind of like a church building, a place where people went to learn about God. And they're in the church building and Jesus is up at the front and he's giving his talk when somebody interrupts him. It's a man who the Bible tells us had a demon. An evil spirit was in his body somehow. We don't quite understand how this works, but something evil was within him. And it was affecting how he was living. And this evil spirit cried out when Jesus was teaching, We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, Jesus, when he heard the evil spirit in this man, he cast it out of him. This man who, who'd been controlled in some way by this evil spirit was now healed. He was better. He was free. And then after the, the service, uh, Jesus went to Simon Peter's house for lunch and he goes in the door. And when he gets in, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in bed lying down and she's got a fever. In a world where there's no doctors and no medicine, a fever was very dangerous. It was a worrying symptom of sickness. But Jesus, he just went over to Simon Peter's mother-in-law, took her by the hand, helped her up, and the fever went. She was better in an instant. And that night, you can imagine what happened, can't you? All the people from Capernaum came to the house to be healed by Jesus. How Jesus healed sick people was amazing. How he treated those who were ill was incredible. But what I think was more amazing for the disciples to see was not how Jesus treated sick people, but how he treated sinful people. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus was a friend of sinners. We're going to watch a video now about the first person that Jesus meets in Mark chapter 2. A man who's got a very clear physical problem, he's paralysed, but a man who has also got a spiritual problem, he's a sinner in need of forgiveness. And we're going to see how Jesus treats this man whenever he meets him. Let's watch and enjoy this video for children together. Jesus Heals This is Jesus Wow who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Jesus did many amazing things. He taught everyone about God's love, healed people from their sickness, and even calmed storms. The news of Jesus had spread all around and many people wanted to come and see what he was doing. No matter where Jesus went, great crowds of people would follow him. Jesus went to his own town and news spread that he was back home. Ow! Soon the house where he was staying was packed. So Jesus began to preach God's word to the people. Meanwhile, some men heard that Jesus was in town. So they decided to take their paralyzed friend to him to be healed, for their friend wasn't able to walk. 
Excuse me. Huh? But when they got to the house, they couldn't reach Jesus because of the crowd. Oh, well. No! So they went to the roof uh, what? and dug a hole right above Jesus. Uh, we got this. Then they lowered their friend down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Jesus saw their faith, so he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. There were some Pharisees and teachers of religious law in the room, though, and they were horrified that Jesus would say such a thing. They said to themselves, Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this? Is it easier to say to this man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Uh, what? Jesus went on to say that he would prove to them that he was allowed to forgive sins. Yeah, right. And so Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Uh, okay. So the paralyzed man stood up and picked up his mat. The entire room was stunned as the man walked out through the crowd. All were amazed and praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this before. And they believed that God had sent Jesus with the authority to forgive sins and the ability to help the hurting. I wonder what you'd say your greatest need is just now. Maybe you're a really social person and you're struggling with lockdown because you can't see your friends and your family and you'd say, Marty, my greatest need right now is to be able to go out and see my friends and have a good time. Maybe that's your greatest need just now. Or maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're working at the minute and work is even more difficult than usual and it's busier than ever and what you really need right now is a chance to rest but you're not getting it. Or maybe in this time of lockdown and, and coronavirus your bank balance has been really badly affected. Maybe you're self-employed and you've not been able to get that income that you need and even the income that the government are giving you, it's not really enough to live on. And you're saying just now, do you know what I need right now Marty? I need a cash injection in my bank account. Well, at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, we meet a man and everyone around him thinks they know what his greatest need is. This man is paralysed and everyone thinks this guy's greatest need, the thing that he needs most in the whole world, is to be able to walk. And so his friends, they, they hear that Jesus is in town, they know that Jesus has been healing people and making people better. And so what do they do? They, they put this man on a stretcher and they carried him to the house where Jesus was. And they get there and the place is packed. It's packed inside, there's people out in the driveway. You can't get in because people are just there to listen to Jesus and hear him teach. But these men, they know they need to get their friend to Jesus. And so they, they go up the steps that were on the side of these buildings and they go onto the flat roof, which was used like a garden, and they dig through the roof and they lower the man right down in front of Jesus. But it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say to the man straight away, get up and walk. Instead, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. I want you to imagine that you've been in a car crash and, and you're taken to the hospital and you know that you've got a broken leg and you know you've got a broken arm and you can see the broken bones in your body. But the first thing that the doctors do is not touch those. Instead, they take you in for a brain scan. 
It's because they know that even though you've got broken bones, your greatest need might be for your brain to be fixed. They might need brain surgery. They know that your greatest need might not be what they can see on the outside. And that's what Jesus does here. He, he meets this man and he looks at him and of course he sees that he's paralyzed, but he sees the man's heart and the man's mind. And he knows that what this man needs, even more than being able to walk, is the forgiveness of his sins. In a moment, we're gonna think about why the forgiveness of sins was this man's greatest need and why it's our greatest need as well. But before we do that, let's stand together and sing a song that reminds us that everyone needs forgiveness and that Jesus is mighty to forgive. Forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. 
Maybe you find yourself wondering this morning, why was this paralyzed man's greatest need the forgiveness of sins? And why is my greatest need the forgiveness of sins? If that's you, let me suggest three reasons why the forgiveness of sins is our greatest need. The first reason is because we need the forgiveness of sins for our guilt to be removed. All of us, whether we like to think about it or not, are people who are guilty. We're all guilty of sin. We're guilty of doing things that we know God doesn't want us to do. We're guilty of hurting people who God has made. We're guilty of thinking things that that we wouldn't want anybody else to know. Through our words and our actions and our lives, we do things all the time that we know are not good and not pleasing to God. And I want you to imagine for a second that all of those things are kept in a record book, kind of like a criminal record. I want you to imagine that that all those things that you've thought and said and done that you know are wrong and, and they weren't even things that you wanted to do but you did them anyway, I want you to imagine that all of those things are kept in a record book. Well, what the Bible says is that they are. They're stored in in a book in heaven. And what's going to happen, the Bible says, is that one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to judge our lives and he's going to open this book of our lives. And depending what's in it, he's going to either find us innocent or guilty. But the problem is we're all guilty. The problem is that every single page in our book is filled with things that are on our record, things that make us guilty before God and things that the Bible says we'll be punished for. But here's the great news. Forgiveness is an offer. Jesus says to us who are sinners, those of us who have a a record full of wrong things, he says this, I have come to forgive you. And the amazing thing is that whenever we receive his forgiveness, our record is removed. Our guilty record is wiped clean. Whenever we trust Jesus, it's like everything that we've ever thought and said and done is erased from this book. So that whenever we stand before God, we won't be condemned, we won't be judged, we won't be punished, but we'll be free. Forgiveness is is needed for our guilt to be removed. But forgiveness, secondly, is needed for our shame to be relieved. Shame is the feeling we have because of our guilty record. You know that feeling when, when you do something? and you just feel so ashamed by it, or you say something that you wish you could take back and you feel ashamed of it. Well, that's what shame is. It's that feeling that that guilt makes in our lives. And many of us, we, we walk around our lives, it's like we're wearing a big backpack full of shame. We walk around every day with, with shame in our lives, feeling that sense of awfulness. And that's the reason we need forgiveness. Because whenever we receive the forgiveness that Jesus brings, it's like the backpack is taken off. And we feel that sense of freedom. Maybe you're watching this this morning and you feel a deep sense of shame because of things that you've done. And you've tried to get rid of it in so many ways, but you can't. Well, Jesus says, whenever you trust me, whenever you receive the forgiveness I've got for you, I'll take that weight off your back. We need forgiveness for our shame to be relieved. And we also need forgiveness for our relationship to be repaired. I don't know about you, but for me, there's times whenever I've said something to a friend or done something to hurt them, and it's completely jarred the relationship. It's broken it, it's it's wrecked it. Because of my actions, because of my words, I've, I've wrecked the whole relationship. Have you ever had an experience like that? 
Maybe you're going through an experience like that with a friend or a family member and it's awful. It's awful. And the only way for that relationship to be restored is for there to be forgiveness. For the person you have hurt to forgive you, that's the only way that relationship can be better again. Well, you see, sin, that has wrecked our relationship with God. Whenever we've hurt people who God has made, that has broken our relationship with God. Whenever we've rejected God who loves us and decided we're going to live our way and not his way, whenever, I guess, we tell him to, to go away and get out of our lives, that has broken that relationship between us and him. But whenever we receive his forgiveness, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, then that relationship is repaired. Maybe you're watching this today and, and you used to be friends with God. You used to enjoy life with him, but you've drifted from him and you've sinned against him and you think to yourself, do you know what? I could never be in a right relationship with him again. Well, the wonderful thing is that you can be because Jesus has come that you can be forgiven and have your relationship with God repaired. One of the things that I always worry about is that people think that God wants to condemn them and that God wants to judge them and that God doesn't want them to be forgiven, but that is anything but the truth. God longs for you to be forgiven. God longs for your guilt to be removed. God longs for your shame to be relieved. God longs for this relationship between you and him to be repaired. And he longs for that so much that he sent God the Son, he sent Jesus so that you could be forgiven. Forgiveness is our greatest need. And the amazing thing is that we can have it for free because Jesus offers it to us. Let's sing again and remind ourselves that God is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. Let's stand and sing. Bless the His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name The sun comes up It's a new day dawn It's time to sing your song Bless the Lord, oh my soul. 
strength is failing The end draws near And my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise Unending Ten thousand years and then Some people got really, really mad at Jesus. In fact, they hated him and they plotted for his death. Do you know who those people were? They were the most religious people of his time. They were a group called the Pharisees and they thought that they were better than everybody else. They knew all of the rules that God had set in the Old Testament and they kept those rules very strictly. In fact, they even made up rules to make sure that they kept the rules. And you see anyone who didn't live up to their standards, anyone who didn't keep all the rules that they'd made up, well, they looked down on them and they saw them as sinners. People who weren't worthy to know God and people who should be kept apart from them. The word Pharisee, it actually means separated. And that's what the Pharisees did. They separated themselves from everyone who they thought wasn't good enough for them. They didn't eat with them. They didn't talk with them. And they looked down on anyone who did eat with them or talk with them or spend time with them. And this is why they hated Jesus. Because Jesus in his time, in the three years he spent telling people about forgiveness and about God's love and about the kingdom, Jesus over and over and over again went to people who the Pharisees looked down on. People who society looked down on. People who were far from God and far from good. And you know what Jesus did? He ate with them, he spent time with them and he invited them to follow him. Let me read about the next person who Jesus meets after he heals the paralyzed man. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the Roman Empire, the Romans took taxes for themselves and there were some taxes which were paid directly to them. 
but some taxes were collected by local tax collectors. And the tax collectors at the start of the year would say, listen, we're going to get this much for you, but anything else we get above that, we're going to keep. And the Romans were happy with that arrangement. There was a man called Levi. We know he's also called Matthew. And this man was a tax collector. And what that means is that he spent his life extorting people to get money for himself. He was greedy and he was a thief. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because here he is, he's one day, he's working at the tax collector's booth. He's getting money for himself. He's collecting money for the Romans. And Jesus walks along and he calls this man to follow him. This man would have been hated by everyone in his society. He would have been hated by the Pharisees for stealing. He would have been hated by his fellow men for extorting them for money. This man was a thief, someone who had done terrible things out of greed for himself. And yet here is this flawed man And Jesus calls this flawed man to follow him. You see, that's the type of people Jesus wants. He wants people who are flawed to follow him. He wants people who are sinful to follow him. He wants people who are lost to follow him because he wants to give them a new life. This man, Levi, he gets up and he follows Jesus. And then the the scene changes to later on in the evening and they're at Levi's house. And Jesus is sitting down and he's eating with them. And he's not just eating with Levi, he's eating with other tax collectors and other sinners. Who were these sinners? We don't really know, but they they might have been prostitutes. They might have been people on the edge of society who were dodgy dealers like the, the, the tax collectors. And Jesus sits down with these people. He's comfortable in their presence. He's happy to be with them. And he sits and he eats with them. Why? Because he cares about them. Because he wants these people to know the forgiveness that he's got on offer. Because he wants these people to have their lives changed. Because he wants these people to turn away from their life of sin and wrongdoing and follow him and have newness of life. Jesus spends time with these sinners, with these outcasts, with these nobodies. Because he's interested in them and he wants them to have a different life. But did you notice what happened whenever Jesus ate with these people? The Pharisees were disgusted. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with people like this? Why is he spending time with people like this? Why is he not spending time with people like us? Us religious people, us righteous people, us good people. That's how they thought of themselves. They were so self-righteous. Why is he spending time with them and not us? Jesus overhears them. And did you hear what he said? He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call righteous. I've not come to call people who are self-righteous and think they're good enough. You know, you'll never follow me because you think you're perfect. You think you don't need a savior. I've come for the people who realize they're flawed, who are looking for forgiveness and who want a different life. I've come to call them to follow me. This is challenging, isn't it? For those of us who are Christians. Because who are we more like? I think that in today's world, we're far more like the Pharisees. We keep ourselves separate from people. We don't mix with them. We look down on them. We think we're better than them. This is not what Jesus did. And it's not what we're to do either. We're to love the lost. We're to care for those who think differently from us. We're to go to those who are hurting and we're to share this good news that Jesus has come to forgive them. We're going to watch a video now, which is about 10 minutes long. And it's someone's story, someone who I met a couple of years ago in Bangor. And he's sharing a story in a church in Bangor. And I want you to watch it and just look out of what happened in his life. 
Christians came and they didn't judge him and they didn't push him away. They didn't think they were better than him. Instead, they got alongside him and loved him and cared for him and shared Jesus with him. That's what we're to do. Those of us who follow Jesus, we're to be like him, being a friend of sinners. Let's watch this together. So, yeah, so a little about me. You can tell by my accent that I'm an Irishman, can't you? I was actually born in Donegal and uh, actually lived in Belfast as a boy. Uh, my parents abandoned me when I was a child, a baby, and I grew up in care, actually, largely here until the age of seven. And then in 79, at the height of the, the troubles, as we know, uh, I was shipped to uh, a big children's institu institution in England, and uh, hence the accent. And I grew up in institutions all over uh, the United Kingdom. And I, was, I went from um, children's home to foster carer to children's home constantly. Uh, my dad was um, a bit of a drinker, a lot of a drinker, and a lot of a gambler and was in and out of my life sporadically. Um, and I finally sort of came out and lived with my dad when I was about 12 or 13 years old. At that point, I, was, I had what we call little man syndrome, you know, angry against everybody in the world, um, a mess, institutionalized. Um, I experimented with drugs for the first time when I was 12. Um, between the ages of 12 and 16, got really involved in gangs, in council estate where I grew up, uh, where I spent a lot of time um, involved in robberies, uh, mugging people, hurting people, um, involved in drugs, heavily involved in drugs. Um, and by the time I was 16, I was living full-time on the streets. My life was a mess. I was a mess in complete denial. Um, by the time uh, I was 18, I had robbed a bank and had fled to Spain, and by the time I was 21, I was in a maximum security prison. And that's lovely, blah, blah, blah. That's the story. Now, along the way, I met Christians. The first time I met a Christian was when I was 19 years old. I was homeless, dealing drugs on the streets. And I, I, I remember meeting these Christians. They were all sort of squeaky clean, sort of sent apart in nice teeth. Um, you know what I mean, and uh, a bit weird. Um, they look, I thought they were CID. They sort of pulled up in a car, said, oh, have you heard about Jesus? No, we hadn't. Um, and they began to play football in a community center where we hung out, and then at halftime, they'd give a little Jesus-y Bible talk. Um, I didn't really take too well to the G's, to being told by a lot of posh, well-dressed people what a sinner I was. Uh, since I've been dragged up and abused most of my life. I wasn't having any of that from these people. Um, I remember as a kid growing up on the, one of the estates and there was a big red church on our estate, big building, perfect red brick, perfect manicured lawns. And um, the only people you usually saw going into this place were men in suits and women in posh frocks. And it certainly wasn't a place for, for people like me. Um, it was, church for us was for posh people and dead people. And we only ever entered churches for weddings uh, or funerals. And, and otherwise, the church was completely irrelevant 
uh, to our lives. It was as I was growing up, it was as I met these Christians um, and um, their gobbledygook about Jesus and God and uh, sin and all this stuff was completely alien to me. I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. This is 20 years ago. I've been a Christian for 20 years. And the gap between the church and people from our culture now is as huge um, as it has ever been. Now, when I met these first Christian, these, these Christians for the first time, um, I spat on them. I threw bricks at their cars. I was actually arrested the first time I met Christians for breach of the peace. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, what was interesting about the first few times I met them, I was sort of interested in what happens, you know, after death. What, what's life all about? But the pressure of being on the streets and being a lad with my pals, it was far greater to stay there than it was to join some sort of little weird Christian group and go to church. I mean, that was just like the most bizarre thing in the world. Anyway, when I ended up in maximum security uh, prison, I was on my own, and um, some Christians came to visit me, the same Christians I used to spit at and abuse, and that really shook me up, and in fact, it shook me up so much, I actually went to the prison library and stole a Christian book, um, you know, I thought, I might as well steal it, because what's the worst that can happen, right? I mean, I'm in max secure, it's not going to get much harder than that. I didn't want to be seen having like a Christian book or anything, so I stole this book, I read it, thought it was nonsense, um, threw it away. And then when I was due for parole, because I'd been homeless for six years, and I had no address to be released to, they weren't going to give me parole. And these Christian men said, why don't you come and live at our house? Remember, I'd abused these guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll come to your house. Um, but if you, you know, if you try and brainwash me, I'll do bad things to you. And they were like, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So I went to this Christian's house. I remember the first time I went to his house, it was sort of all nice and clean. And I felt all dirty and um, unworthy. And, and these Christians, they did weird things, like um, they sat round a table and prayed over vegetables. And um, it was a bit creepy the first time I saw that. I'm like, what are these people doing? Um, and they just seemed to speak a completely different language. I mean, to me, I was 23 years old. I'd never sat at a table and had a meal before. Um, never mind, you know, used a knife and fork and all that jazz. Um, and... Um, yeah, it was weird. Anyway, I mean, they were talking to me about Jesus, these people. I was still taking drugs and, and messed up. And uh, I thought, you know what, I'll go to church. I'll give church a bash. I sort of got to know these fellas a little bit. I trusted them. So I, I went to church. And, oh, it was actually in Wales, a Welsh church. And, oh, my goodness, it was like the worst experience of my life. Everybody sang about joy while looking the most miserable I've ever seen in my life. It was the creepiest, weirdest thing ever. 
and uh, they used to stand up and sit down, and they all seemed to do it in time, and I'm like, what? And then the guy would get up to speak, and he would, like, pray in sort of old English, and, um, man, church was a freaky place. And then the pastor would say, and you know that story in the Old Testament when this old dude did this to this old dude, and I'd be sitting there thinking, I haven't got a clue what you are talking about. Everybody dressed posh, and I just felt so out of place. Um, it was scary. But I was, you know, I, I hated church, but I was interested in Jesus. I quite liked Jesus, because he was quite annoying to the establishment, and that quite appealed to me. And so I found a book in this guy's house called a Matthew Henry Commentary on the Bible. <laughs> I mean, that's a big boy, right? I mean, it's, it took me and a friend to get it upstairs, but we did it. And, um, and so I thought, you know what? I mean, I thought it was the Bible. I'm going to read this bad boy. And so I did. So I got converted reading the Matthew Henry commentary. <laughs> now, the Bible. And do you know where I got really banged? In the book of Romans. Romans wrecked me. I'd been told by care workers, social workers, psychologists, you know, everybody that I was a victim of circumstance. If I'd have been from a good home and a good background, like, like the mayor, um, <laughs> I, I could have been mayor, mayor. And I, I'd have had the bling. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, you know, and they, and, they, and, they, and they told me all this chat, you know, well, you, you, bad circumstances, la, la, la. And then I'm confronted with Paul in Romans saying, all the sin and fall short of the glory of God and no one's without excuse. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Paul, calm yourself. What about me? I was had a terrible childhood. I was deprived of this. And um, I was really convicted of my sin reading Romans. And I actually became a Christian, confessed my sin, gave my life to Christ on a park bench. Um, and... Um, you know, there were no angels. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel any different at all, actually. I just wondered what had happened. I went to church, talked to a friend of mine. I said, I think I've become one of you Christian-y people. Um, is there like a sort of special prayer or something you say to make sure you're in the club? He just sort of prayed with me. And then he began to meet with me. And at this point, I was, a f I was your worst nightmare a guy who discovered Jesus, read Matthew Henry, and wanted to know every single thing about the Bible. And it didn't matter who you were. Um, if I thought you were a Christian, I would hammer you for four hours on questions. I'm not trying to catch anybody out, but because I was fascinated. And it took me time in the early days to understand. I went back to church. It was a struggle. I even bought a shirt and tie to try and fit in. I thought, that's what Christians do. It's like a uniform. But thankfully, as I matured, I realized I didn't have to do that. And, um, you know, the, the place where I grew up um, that was so alien and foreign to me and full of people who were so unlike me 
has turned out to be the place that has saved my life. Most of our friends are dead. Almost every boy I grew up with is dead. Every single one, almost, to a man that I started drugs with is gone. And I stand here only because of Jesus Christ. God. What a powerful story that was, wasn't it? We're going to sing again together now, reminding ourselves that we are sinners saved only by the grace of God.
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever. tuning into church at home this morning i hope that if you're not a christian that you know that jesus calls you to follow him and that forgiveness is an offer for you and if you are a follower of jesus i hope that you've been challenged not to look down on others not to condemn others but instead to get alongside them and love them and share the great news we have with them let me lead us in a short time of prayer heavenly father you know that we are all flawed people lord you know the things that we do that we wish we could undo Lord, you know the words that we say that we wish we could take back. Lord, you know the thoughts that we have which so often damage ourselves and think about damaging others. Lord, you know that we are all completely flawed, sinful people. And so we all want to thank you this morning for Jesus. Thank you that he came so that we could be forgiven. Thank you that because of him, our record of guilt is wiped clean. Thank you that because of him, our burden of shame is taken away. Thank you that because of him, our relationship with you is restored. Lord, for those of us who follow Jesus, give us the the love that he had for other people. May we be those who get alongside others and who love them unconditionally and share the gospel, this great news that Jesus came to save them. Father, I pray for people in our local community that they would look at our church and know that we're a church who welcome people, who welcome everybody. Lord, may they know that they can come to us and and then we'll receive them openly and love them well. Lord, for everyone watching today, encourage them, stir them up in their faith and help them to live for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Yeah, just to say, if you are tuning in to church at home and you don't come to our church, maybe you don't go to any church, we have this motto in our church and the motto is everyone is welcome. And we really mean that because everyone was welcome to follow Jesus. Jesus called everyone to be one of his followers. And so just so you know, if Church at Home finishes in a few weeks, few months, who knows how long lockdown's gonna last, and you would like to join us, we would love to have you. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're far from God, whether you're seeking God, whether you're someone whose life is a mess, whether you're someone who seems to have it all together, whoever you are, we want you to know that you're welcome to be part of Ravenhill Presbyterian Church. We'll welcome you with open arms and will help you learn more about Jesus and learn to follow him. But now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.